Would you pray with me? Gracious living God, help us today to hear your holy word, that we may truly understand, that understanding we may believe, and believing we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honor and glory in all that we do, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verses 31 through 44. Hear now the word of the Lord. He went down to Capernaum, a city in Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbath. They were astounded at his teaching because he spoke with authority. In the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Let us alone! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. When the demon had thrown him down before them, he came out of him without having done him any harm. They were all amazed and kept saying to one another, What kind of utterance is this? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and out they come. And a report about him began to reach every place in the region. After leaving the synagogue, he entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked him about her. Then he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. Immediately she got up and began to serve them. As the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick and with various kinds of diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on each of them and cured them. Demons also came out of many, shouting, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Messiah. At daybreak, he departed and went into a deserted place. And the crowds were looking for him. And when they reached him, they wanted to prevent him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. So he continued proclaiming the message in the synagogues of Judea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, I pray now that you would pour your Holy Spirit through me, that these words might truly become your living word to your people. And I pray that you would open up each of our hearts and minds that we might receive that word exactly in the place that we need to hear it. For we pray this in the name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Things were going really well for Jesus. I mean, his ministry in Capernaum was on fire. His popularity was exploding as people were amazed at the authority of his teaching and his healing power. I mean, some people even started proposing that they elect him town mayor or even try to make him king. Anything to keep him there 
among them. Quite a reversal from the reception he had received in his hometown of Nazareth, where his own people had tried to throw him over a cliff. But Jesus' first 100 days of ministry in Capernaum were a raging success. I mean, the pews were packed to the limits. Offerings were pouring in hand over fists. It was everything that anyone could have hoped for. But then one morning, Jesus got up early and went off to a deserted place. And when the crowds, the adoring crowds, came looking for Jesus, hoping to make him a permanent resident, Jesus said, time to go, and he immediately left town. What was that all about? I mean, isn't success supposed to be a good thing? Isn't that what we're all looking for? Well, if you recall from two weeks ago, we looked at Jesus' visit back to his hometown of Nazareth, where he had to disabuse his family and friends about who he was and what he had come to do. And I'm sure it had to be a a great temptation for Jesus to want to give these people whom he loved what they wanted, but, but he knew that that would take him away from what God had planned for his ministry, which is all about saving not just the Jewish people, but the entire world. And when he made this clear to them, and that it was shattering their hopes and expectations for him, well, he barely made it out of town alive. So I'm sure it was with a heavy heart that Jesus headed back down toward the Sea of Galilee, and he began preaching about the kingdom of God in the town of Capernaum. One Sabbath day, while he was teaching in their synagogue, a man who was possessed by the spirit of an unclean demon leapt up and started shouting at him, Have you come to destroy us, Jesus of Nazareth? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked this spirit, commanding it to be silent and to come out of the man. And everyone was mesmerized. All the visitors who were in church that day said, this kind of thing never happens in our church. Y'all must be Pentecostal. And everyone kept asking, what kind of utterance is this? Because they were amazed at the power and authority of his words. Of course, they were all asking the wrong question. What they should have been asking is the most important question any of us will ever ask in our lives, who is this man? Because what mattered so much was not what Jesus was teaching, but who Jesus is, something only the demon seemed to realize. Now, Certainly, we moderns tend to become a little uncomfortable when the Bible starts talking about demons and evil spirits. But in reality, a demon is simply anything that comes to take control of your life. 
causing you to to act or to speak or to think in ways that are not good for you or those around you that might even be contrary to your own good intentions. And whether demons are literal or metaphorical really doesn't matter all that much once you are possessed. And anyone who has ever looked into the frightening face of addiction or mental illness or out-of-control rage, or lust for power, understands just what a devastating effect demons can have on our lives. The good news is that demons are all terrified of Jesus, who alone has the power to set us free. Well, after having set free this possessed man in the synagogue and amazing everyone with his teaching, Jesus was invited to the home of Simon Peter. And when they got there, they discovered that that Peter's mother-in-law was was very sick and she was burning up with a high fever. When Jesus discovered this, he immediately went over to her and rebuked the fever and she was instantly healed from her illness. And then surely, with a heart full of gratitude, she got up and baked them some delicious chocolate chip cookies. After all, nothing says lovin' like something from the oven. Now, I know the text doesn't say that she served them chocolate chip cookies, but it doesn't say she didn't. And I have a sneaking suspicion that this was the original recipe of the Bud Thorne chocolate chip cookie. And I suspected it was the aroma of those cookies wafting through the village that attracted everyone's attention and drew them to the house. And when the people all discovered that Jesus was there and that he had just healed Peter's mother-in-law, well, people started bringing everyone they knew who was sick with some sort of illness or possessed by some sort of demon. And Jesus rebuked all of them so that everyone was set free. It was... Incredible. I mean, it seemed that there was nothing that Jesus couldn't do. People started putting up signs saying, Jesus for president. I mean, it had to feel really good for Jesus, especially after his rejection in Nazareth. And after all, he was decisively winning the battle against Satan and the forces of darkness. And and everybody loved him. His ministry was was off to a rousing success. But rather than launching his campaign for Messiah, Jesus silenced all of the demons, preventing them from telling everyone who he really was, probably because he did not want to confuse them anymore and contribute to their false expectations of them just as had happened in Nazareth. And the very next morning, Jesus got up very early, as he so often did, and he went off on his own to a deserted place to spend time with his heavenly Father, listening to his Father's voice being reminded of who he was and what he had been sent to do. 
And when the crowds came and found Jesus, he immediately packed up his bags and headed off to the next town, leaving his successful ministry in Capernaum behind. Seems so counterintuitive, doesn't it? I mean, from the time we are very little, we are taught that success is the only thing that really matters and to pursue it at any cost. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. If you fall off the horse, get back up on it. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. Failure to succeed is not an option for us. And we're taught to to build on our successes, not abandon them. I mean, we're... We're practically obsessed with the idea of success. Perhaps we might even say possessed by it. I actually think this is one of the reasons that so many people struggle in retirement. They no longer have something to get up each day to be successful at. And since our self-worth is so often tied up in our ability to succeed tangibly at something, people who are retired, who are disabled in some way, who are out of work or unable to work so often end up feeling worthless and depressed, craving that powerful feeling of success that human beings will often sacrifice almost anything to achieve. What about you? What would you sacrifice for success or your children's success? What would you sacrifice to get into the right school or to get the promotion or to win the election or to satisfy the stockholders or to close the deal? Would you sacrifice your time? or your money, or your popularity? Would you sacrifice your integrity, or your relationships, or your soul? The truth is, there may be no greater threat to our spiritual well-being than our success. Because it can so easily pull us away from what God desires from us, and for us. After all, success is self-affirming and ego-stroking. And it can easily seduce us into believing that God approves of what we are doing. Otherwise, we wouldn't be so successful, right? And that can easily lead us to justify almost any action to achieve it, even ones that contradict the mission and the character and the commandments of Jesus Christ. The truth is, success is at best a very ambiguous sign of God's blessing and approval, even in the church. Sometimes it might even mean the opposite. After all, God's definition of success is often very different from ours. For in God's economy, 
Success is all about faithfulness and obedience and humility and spiritual growth. It's about our devotion to Jesus, about how we treat one another, not just when we agree, but when we disagree, about how generous we are with all that God has given to us. It's not about how much money we make or what school we attend or how many degrees we have or how popular we are or how big our house is. And as Jesus' own life makes clear, sometimes being faithful to God means leaving our success behind. As God reminds us that He alone is the source of our life and our self-worth rather than our success. And that He has a plan for our lives that is so much bigger and so much better than our own. But that means that the only way we can truly be successful in God's eyes is if, like Jesus, we commit to spending regular time with our Heavenly Father, listening to His voice, hearing His call on our lives, being shaped and guided by His Spirit, being reminded of who Jesus is. Otherwise, like the people of Capernaum, we'll keep trying to make Him be who we want Him to be. That every time we try to throw a leash around Jesus' neck and make Him be our private Messiah who's there to satisfy our expectations and make us successful, Jesus rebukes us and keeps moving. For he will allow nothing to stand in his way of his mission to save us. Not even our well-meaning hopes and expectations. Not even our successes. Instead, Jesus just keeps calling us to let go of our expectations and our need to succeed and follow him. For he alone is the Savior. And there can be no true success in this life apart from Jesus. But oh, how hard it is for us to let go sometimes, isn't it? Trusting that God is going to provide and not abandon us to fend for ourselves without our success. I have a confession to make. Every year, about this time of year, I go through a difficult grieving process. As the elders who have completed their terms now roll off of session. It's always hard for me at this time. Uh, after all, for the last three and often six years, I've been in the trenches with these elders as we've tried to seek God's will for our church together, as I've come to, to depend on their leadership and their wisdom, as I've gotten to know and appreciate each one of them, as we navigate budgets and, and 
personnel issues and building projects and pandemics. And frankly, I don't want to let them go. I want to keep them right here with me forever, building on our ministry success. Of course, I know that that would prevent prevent them from moving on to whatever it is that God is calling them to next. It would also prevent new people from growing into the leaders that God is calling them to be and using the gifts that God has given them for His purposes. And the truth is, God has always provided year after year after year, often in surprising ways. And every year as I am sulking over the loss of my elders, and I finally remember to go spend some time talking with my heavenly father, he immediately reminds me that they were never mine in the first place. And that Jesus is still the Savior who just keeps inviting me to let go of my expectations and my need to be successful, and to simply follow obediently where He leads, which is what true success in this life is really all about. And in doing so, I always discover that God has not abandoned me as I feared, but that the Savior whom I know is walking alongside me. For he isn't finished with me yet. Now, I don't know what it is that you all are struggling with in each of your lives and what it is that you're hoping Jesus is going to do for you. But I do know how tempting it is to try to hold tightly to our plans and dreams for him. And yet Jesus can never be contained by our hopes, our fears, our expectations, or our agendas. Instead, he just continues to carry out his Father's mission, still on the move, still casting out demons and all the unholy things that seek to control us, still healing our sin-sick souls, still setting us free from our feverish pursuit of success and all the things we seek to find our identity and self-worth in other than Jesus. And He is inviting you to join him in the great adventure called the kingdom of God and to put your trust in him. After all, you know who he is. He's the one who has claimed you as his own in the waters of baptism. The one who has promised to always be with you. The one whose power has conquered death for you. And he isn't finished with you yet either. So you don't have to be afraid when things in your life do not turn out the way you hoped they would. Or when Jesus invites you to to follow him 
into something new. Because the risen Savior is waiting for you on the road ahead, holding new life in his hands. And he's just dying for you to come and receive it. Would you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, you have promised to always be with us. You have promised to make us a part of your success, which was accomplished on Calvary's cross for all eternity. Lord God, we know there are so many things that we allow to control us, to define us other than you. But let us, O God, find our identity and our self-worth and all of our success in being obedient to your Son, Jesus Christ, who alone has the power to give us life. In his name we pray. Amen.